Okay, well, it's uh, good to be back preaching again, continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's been, yeah, an awesome blessing to be uh, hearing, yeah, Phil and John preaching through it, and uh, it's also a blessing just to be able to participate in it as well and, and join in the preaching. Um, yeah, I'm excited about this one, this, this passage, uh, mainly because it's a passage that we're all actually pretty familiar with, right? The, the Good Samaritan, we've all heard it before, and I, I think even, even if you were to go out on the street and ask the, the run-of-the-mill layperson, a non-churchgoer, you know, if they've heard of the Good Samaritan, I, th- I think pretty much everyone in our culture would know about the story, uh, at least in a very kind of vague way. Um, they might not tell you everything about it, but they would be somewhat familiar. And, and it, it is an amazing parable. It's well known for good reason, right? It's, it's, it's well known because over the, over the centuries, it has spurred on thousands and thousands of people to go out and follow the example of Christ and follow the example of this good Samaritan. It spurred them on to good works, to love and to care for others, to reach out to those in need, those who are sick, those who are hurting. I mean, there's even, even plenty of charities that are named after this good Samaritan, right? So you've got, um, you know, I mean, well, it's even just called the Charity Samaritans, right? They, they help out with uh, counselling people who are struggling with mental illness, those in need. Uh, there's another charity called Samaritan's Purse, which provides emergency relief uh, for those who have been struck by poverty, famine, uh, natural disasters, thing, things like that. And these are organisations that are started by people who have experienced and seen the love of Jesus and they then want to go and put that into action. And despite that, that amazing response, it's, it's awesome the effect that it's had, uh, I think this parable is actually often pretty misunderstood, we, or at least we don't get the full and bigger picture of exactly what Jesus is teaching. So as we go through, we're, we're going to learn that this parable is far more than just simply Jesus telling everyone, now remember, go and be nice and go and be loving, and that's it. Because we're, we're going to learn that it's actually so much more than that. Uh, but before we dig into it, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word. We thank you that you have revealed all of, all of your character and nature in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can hear from you in your word. But Lord, we ask that your spirit would be at work in us. Give us ears to hear soften our hearts so that we might grow and learn and change and fall in love even more with you and your gospel uh, as your spirit illuminates the word. Amen. Okay, so I'd invite you to open your your Bibles or your uh, scripture journals that we've got, uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, starting from verse 25. I'll just read the, the first few verses. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. There you go. Great. Case closed. Sermon over, right? He, an- he answered correctly. He got the question right. Full marks, high distinction. Right, let's join us for tea and coffee after the service. No, not really. That's because he goes and ruins it with his very next statement. Right, but look down in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
And then Jesus replied by saying the parable. So the, the lawyer, he sort of knew his Old Testament, right? He, he did get some of his answer was correct, technically, but at the same time he missed the point, right? His reply comes from two separate commands. So there's uh, Deuteronomy 6.5, it's known as the, the Shema, um, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your might. And, and it was common then for, for Jews in, in the first century to recite that to, twice daily. So, I mean, they were really familiar with that verse. Uh, and then Leviticus 19.80 says, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. So, this isn't new teaching from Jesus when he tells people to love your neighbour as yourself. This was already there in the Old Testament. So the first century Jews should have been quite familiar with those two commands. And so maybe the lawyer was drawing that from his, his previous knowledge. Uh, but there are some commentators that believe that uh, specifically placing these two commands together to love God and to love others, that that was actually uh, Jesus' teaching and that the lawyer in, had heard Jesus preach before, answered like that, purely to set up for the next question. Right, I mean, the, the, the passage says that he was trying to put Jesus to the test. So there's something going on here in his motivation behind asking his first question. It's purely so it can lead into his next question, which is, who is my neighbour? Which is a pretty horrible question, right? You've, you've just been told to love other people, to love your neighbour. As soon as you ask a question like, well, who, who is my neighbour? You're really asking, who can I get away with not loving? You know, Who's the one that I don't really have to worry about? What's the exception to the rule so I don't have to love those people? So Jesus responds to the lawyer's test and, and to his desperate desire to justify himself with this parable. And, and so this parable reveals the height of God's standards and, and what it really practically looks like to love our neighbour as ourselves, to obey that command. So let, let's dive into the parable. So from verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Jesus starts off with the bad example, right? How not to obey this command. And, and, and given that his audience probably included a lot of Pharisees and a lot of Levites, it might not have gone down that well choosing a parable where the Pharisee and the Levites are the, are the bad guys. And, and there, there are a few different views as to why a Pharisee and a Levite might have behaved the way they did and left the man for dead. You know, some have said that the, the priest or the Levite would have crossed the road to the other side because they valued the, the rituals of the Old Testament law. They, they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean, and so they valued those ceremonial rituals even more than God's command to love your neighbour as yourself. I mean, others speculate that it was because they didn't want to be robbed themselves. It was out of self-interest, you know, that it was in this dangerous position. Why help the guy when the robbers might still be around? But I think it's pretty pointless to, to speculate what their motivation was because one, that the text doesn't tell us what their motivation was. Uh, and secondly, they're, they're fictional characters in a parable. So we're, we're told what we need to be told. Uh, and so it's a bit pointless to speculate what these hypothetical people, what their motivation was behind their actions. 
the point is that they should have just helped out, but they did nothing. They avoided helping. And, and it's in stark contrast to the actions of the Samaritan. And we'll see that in, in the following verses. Uh, but before we get into that, I, I just want to briefly mention uh, a little bit about interpreting parables in general. They, they can be a bit of an oddity when it comes to interpretation, specifically in the Gospels. Uh, and there's something that, that's pretty often uh, misunderstood. Get that working. Not working. Right. I'll just, I'll just point at you and do the thing. Uh, so some people will interpret the parables. All good? Yeah, there we go. Working. Excellent. Uh, so when, when it comes to misunderstanding or misinterpreting the parables, uh, that sometimes they're interpreted simply as a nice moral lesson. Jesus is telling a story that just has, uh, yeah, a, a moral lesson is, is the take-home message. Uh, other people interpret them as having some kind of secret hidden message that needs to be decoded by us centuries later. You know, some kind of detailed allegorical story that can be figured out. Uh, but despite all their detail, I, I think primarily a lot of the time there's, there's normally one primary lesson that we need to learn and, and it's normally given in response to someone else raising a question or making a comment and Jesus will respond with a parable. But, but interpreting the parables is a, a pretty funny thing when you look at, at church history uh, because, because parables were a very Jewish form of teaching and then in the early church over the first few centuries the, the, uh, the, para the early church was primarily Gentile. And so what happens is church history is filled with really strange interpretations of the parables. And so I'll give, I'll give you one example specifically of this, this parable of the Good Samaritan. So uh, early church father by the name of Augustine uh, of Hippo is in North Africa. But ba basically they, they would treat them as a detailed allegory with, with two levels, right? So you've got the physical story that Jesus is telling and then you've got a spiritual symbolic interpretation and every single detail that Jesus includes in the parable must have some kind of corresponding spiritual meaning behind it. So this is what he does with the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which every single physical detail has a corresponding spiritual interpretation. So you've got the man going down from Jericho represents Adam. And then Jerusalem, from which he was going, is the city of heavenly peace. He resided with God, but then he was heading to Jericho, uh, which it was the moon, which signifies our mortality. That, that's because in Hebrew, the word Jericho and the moon are, are quite similar. Basically, it's saying that Adam lost his, his immortality because the, the robbers, the devil and his angels, stripped him, took away his immortality. They beat him by persuading him to sin. They left him for half dead. So because of sin, he was spiritually dead, but half alive because he still had the knowledge of God. Uh, then you've got uh, the priest represents the priesthood of the Old Testament, which is the law. And then you've got the Levite, which represents the ministry of the Old Testament, the prophets. And then the Good Samaritans is Jesus. So basically what he's saying there is the law and the prophets couldn't save him, but Jesus could. And then he bound his wounds, which is the restraint of sin. Uh, oil was the comfort of good hope. Wine was the exhortation to spirited good work. And you've got the animal uh, the donkey, which, which represents the body of Christ, the inn, so he took him into the inn, which is into the church, uh, paid two denarii, which is the two commandments, to love God and love your neighbour. 
The innkeeper was the Apostle Paul for some reason. Uh, the return of the Good Samaritan represents the resurrection of Christ as he returns. So it sounds good, right? It, it's complete nonsense, but it, but it sure sounds good. But, but clearly that's not what the audience would have understood it to mean, right? He's got a group of people around him and he tells this story which points towards the gospel in a way in which you know, the innkeeper is the Apostle Paul, but they didn't know the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul wasn't even an apostle yet. He wasn't even saved. And, and most importantly, it doesn't even answer the question, who is my neighbour, right? The, the lawyer asks the question, who is my neighbour? And so if all of this um, allegorical interpretation is true, the, the lawyer would have walked away going, cool, but who is my neighbour? Right? He still hasn't answered that. So I think it's, it's not meant to be interpreted that way. The, the, the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan gives us an expansion of the law and helps us to practically interpret what the command to love our neighbour really looks like. Because he's answering the question, who is my neighbour? So I, ju I just want to briefly list a, a few things that we learn from this parable, parable about what it looks like to faithfully love our neighbour as ourselves. So everyone loves talking about love, right? In our, in our culture, in our church, Everyone loves talking about love. We, we all know that we ought to love one another. We, I mean, we've, we frame most of our political debates around who's on the most loving side. So, so even in our culture as well as in the church, we, we love talking about love, but rarely do we actually hear people define what love actually means and, and, and even defining what it practically looks like. So I'll throw up the slide there with what is love just so that song can get stuck in your head. Baby, don't hurt me. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we'll, we'll look at a few different things that we learn from the definition of love uh, from this parable. So, so the first one is that, that love doesn't turn away, right? It doesn't turn its back on injustice. When, when we see someone, you know, half beaten to death on, on the street, the response by the, the, the Pharisee and the Levite was to just walk away, to turn away and pretend that it wasn't a problem. But if we're to be loving, we shouldn't turn our back on injustice or those in need. And this is a, a difficult one, especially in, in this day and age. It's, we, we can't help everyone and, and the world has an infinite number of problems and I think that's difficult for us when we have instant access to the news and social media in which we know about everything that's going wrong in the world in a split second. We have the weight of our world, the weight of the world on our shoulders and it's pretty easy to feel helpless and hopeless that there's nothing we can do to help all that's going wrong. But I think we need to stop and look at the people directly in our own lives and in our own community. And this doesn't mean that we shouldn't help those outside our own sphere, don't, don't misunderstand me. We should still help out organisations who are helping people on the other side of the world, organisations that, that stop human trafficking, you know, mission organisations that help the persecuted church, uh, pro-life organisations and crisis pregnancy centres outside of our own towns. That, that, that's okay to help those abroad. But, but I think one of the clearest ways we can obey this command to love our neighbour is by looking for the people who are in need in our own lives. Who are walking along the path and there are robbed and beaten and people desperate in need. And if you can't think of anyone at the moment, that's maybe because you've already crossed to the other side of the road, you've already ignored them. So who are the people that you see, that you see their needs, you see that they're broken, but you realise they may be a lot of work, right? They may make life difficult for you, so, so you just turn away and go, it's, it's just not worth it, it'll be far too much work investing in their lives. 
But look at the comparison with the, the Samaritan in verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. All right, and so that, that's uh, my point too. Love is a verb, which I'm stealing from the title of a DC Talk song. To love your neighbor doesn't mean, like this, this is really misunderstood in our culture, what love means, right? We, we understand it as a warm, fuzzy feeling. You know, you just have warm feelings towards others. You know, it, it, you know just simply be nice to other people. Don't, don't ever get angry, just be on, be on other people's good sides. And, and that, that's true, that's, that's a good thing. But, but love isn't just a feeling, right? It's an action, it's something that you put into action. So love that doesn't spring us into action is no love at all. And, and, and James makes this exact same point in, in James 2. Uh, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So loving your neighbour doesn't simply mean telling them that you love them or care for them. It involves doing it, right? But that, that, that's easier said than done. So my third point, which is that love has a cost, right? It, it will cost us effort and money and time. And we see that in the example of the Good Samaritan right? from verse 34. It says, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him into an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the Samaritan's day was interrupted as he was going about his own business on this journey. He had to stop and he had to physically help. He bound up his wounds, he patched him, and he put him on his own animal, most likely a donkey. See, the Samaritan probably wasn't planning on walking this leg of the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about 25 k's, so reasonable journey. But he had to give up his own comfort in order to help the man and put him on his own donkey. And then it cost him financially to put him up in the inn. And that's what's, what's great about this is he leaves him and are there to recover and then he'll repay any additional cost later on. So this means he, he cares for a guy that he'll probably never see again. He'll never recover that money. The guy isn't going to owe him one. This love is, is generous rather than self-seeking. And, and he commits to paying without knowing how much it's going to be in the long run. He just says, whatever it is, I'll pay, whatever it takes. And, and finally, th this love takes time, right? It's not just a one-off action. He has to go back to the inn to follow up and to continue, continue to give. And see, so that's a challenge because I, I think we like to love people in a way that's just a one-off. That we can help by, you know, a one-off donation or, or put in a little bit of effort with this person in a specific way one afternoon. But we're called to love people by continuing to invest in them, continuing to have a cost. And the fourth point about love that we learn from this parable is that love does not discriminate. Right? It's, it's not on the, the basis of outward appearance or social status or religious affiliations or, or race. So the problem with the first guys, the Pharisees and the Levites, it, it wasn't a problem that they were a Pharisee or a Levite. There, there wasn't anything intrinsically wrong with that. The, the problem is they were hypocrites. Right? They, they loved talking about the law, but they didn't obey it. 
they were looked up to because they were from the right tribe, right? If you were a Pharisee or, and you know, if you were from the tribe of Levi, you, know, you, you had social credit. They had enough social credit they could get away with telling other people what to do, tell people this law, but not even obey it. And, and I think it's, it's pretty easy for us to miss this part of this parable by not understanding the social context um, of just what Jesus was getting at when he used the example of a Samaritan. Like, like when, when you hear the word Samaritan, right, it, it probably has pretty positive connotations in our culture, right, of, of the charities and Samaritan's purse. And if you hear the word Samaritan, probably the first thing you'd think of is the good Samaritans. I mean, that, that's uh, pretty positive connotations. But that wasn't the case for Jesus' audience. For the people listening to this parable, Samaritans, or the word Samaritan had a very negative connotation. So, so in, in the Old Testament, remember God's people were split into the north tribe of Israel and, and the south tribe of, of Judea. And so Israel in the north and its capital, Samaria, were, was conquered by the Assyrians. They, they went into captivity and then other people were put in the land and they intermarried with the people of Israel and they became known as the Samaritans. So the Jews, this is people from Judea, basically saw the Samaritans, they were a bunch of heretics, they were a bunch of half-breeds, they weren't, you know, the pure people of Israel. They, they weren't even God's people anymore. And so if you actually look up uh, first century rabbis and scholars of how they interpret the command to love your neighbour, they would say, yes, of course we should love our neighbour. But, you know, that, that only means other Jews. It, it doesn't mean foreigners or, or those Samaritans, but of course we're called to love our neighbour. But, you know, you wouldn't include Samaritans in that list. And, and we see hints of this kind of racism throughout the Gospels. Uh, so in John 4, where, where Jesus meets the woman at the well, it's a Samaritan, right? And so in John 4, 7, it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then in John 8, 48, when the Pharisees are accusing Jesus, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Like, like what a combination for an insult, right? You know, you're probably demon-possessed and even a Samaritan as well. Like, you know, it shows what they actually think of Samaritans. So, so when Jesus tells this parable, he's exposing their lack of love for the Samaritans by making the Samaritan a good guy, by making the Samaritan a good neighbour. So in, uh, imagine an example today of someone lying on the street, you know, beaten half to death on the road from Minleton to Maitland. And then the white churchgoer comes along but crosses to the other side of the road and does nothing. And then, and then a, a white conservative liberal, liberal voter crosses the street and does nothing. But then a, a car full of indigenous people from Point Pierce come and they help him. They bandage him up, they take him straight to the hospital. You know, for, for racist people, that, that's going to be a hard story to hear. So Jesus is exposing their, their lack of love for the Samaritans. So the love that Jesus is teaching about here, it doesn't turn away from injustice. It spurs us into action. It will cost us time and money and effort and it should be offered freely to all people. But so is that it? Is, is that the parable, just a nice moral message? Be nice, love one another. Well, not quite, because we need to remember why Jesus told this parable. 
right? He's not here today, but I'll quote my favorite Maitland theologian, Darren Sanderson. He said, the, the parables don't appear in a vacuum, right? They, they don't appear out of nowhere just by themselves in the scriptures. There's a broader context to fill us in as to why Jesus tells each parable. And so the reason why he tells this parable is, is because we've actually failed to love our neighbor. See, Jesus was responding to two major questions raised by the lawyer. He asked, how, how can one inherit eternal life? And then he asked, who is my neighbor? Right, so, so, so this parable isn't just a nice moral message. It, it, it reveals how we can attain eternal life and then Jesus tells the lawyer to go and do likewise. But, but there's a problem. We, we haven't done likewise, right? We haven't been like the Good Samaritan. We've, we've actually been more like the lawyer, seeking to justify ourselves, picking and choosing who we get to love. This parable doesn't just tell us to love our neighbour, it, it exposes the fact that we haven't loved our neighbour. Now, we're not actually capable of loving like that. We, we do look away from injustice. We do turn a blind eye to people in our own community. We, we fail to put our words into action. I mean, I'm, I'm even talking about it now. I'm preaching a sermon on, on loving others, but it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to actually get out there and do it. We don't give all of our time or our money or our effort loving others. And, and we definitely do discriminate, right? Perhaps not on the basis of race, although maybe. But we do discriminate. We, we, we love loving the lovable people, but struggle with those we don't like. It's, it's e easy to love people that, that are lovable, right? It's, it's easy to love people that agree with us about everything, right? People that are like us, people that act like us, have the same beliefs as us or the same politics. You know, they, any, anyone can do that. But to love our enemies, to love those who are always in need or are always angry at you or are always annoying you, always even hurting you, always horrible to be around. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to love our neighbour, which is everyone. See, the reason why Jesus' teaching is, is amazing and the reason why it's revolutionised entire cultures is not just because it's good, it is good teaching, but because it's completely counterintuitive to our own natural tendencies and desires, right? And the fact that this was a response to the lawyer's question, who was seeking to justify himself, this parable reveals that he couldn't justify himself. It exposes his failures. So to the first question, how can I inherit eternal life? What's Jesus getting at here, right? How do we inherit eternal life? Well, controversial statement time. Jesus here is, is sort of teaching two ways to heaven, right? Yes, you can believe in Jesus, or you can inherit eternal life by fulfilling the law, right? By loving God and loving others. I mean, Jesus said that the lawyer answered correctly. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So all you have to do is be perfect in every way, right? You know, live solely for God and love Him with your whole heart, you know, all of your emotions, all your will, all your deepest convictions, with your soul, your innermost being, with, with your mind and all your thinking and all your reasoning, to love God in every way. And then on top of that, always love your neighbour, always putting other people ahead of yourself, everyone else, never turning away from those in need, never failing to act on what we say we'll do, never discriminating, always loving absolutely everybody, 
in every way, in perfect obedience to God in thought, word, and deed. Easy, right? <laughs> so th this is why we say that there is one way to heaven, because we fail. This, this, this is why Jesus told this parable, because the, the lawyer was prideful. It, it's pretty easy to keep the law when you believe that the law to love your neighbour only includes the people that you already love. Doing this exposed, we, we haven't lived up to this standard. So, so, so now what though? Now what do we do? If we, if we know that we haven't actually done this, when, when the parable expands on God's law, it exposes, you know, it, it expands on just what it actually means to love our neighbour. You know, what, what can we do when we realise that we can't actually live up to that standard? That's when we look to Jesus, the one who has fulfilled the law. You know, there is only one who's, who's perfectly fulfilled the law, one who loves God perfectly, and then as a result, loves us perfectly. So there's only one who's been a good neighbour to us when we were completely helpless, beaten, broken, in our dying state. So in that big list that I put up of, of Augustine's before in his interpretation of, the th of this, this parable, he did get one thing right. He said that Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the one who fulfills the law. He's the one who loves his neighbour. So did, did you notice that Jesus doesn't actually directly answer the lawyer's question? Right? He asked, who is my neighbour? Is what the lawyer said. But Jesus' response gets to the heart of the issue. He reveals what it means to love your neighbour. But when he asks the lawyer a question, he doesn't ask, who is your neighbour? He asks, who was a good neighbour to the man? He sort of flipped it on its head. Yes, this, this, this parable isn't just simply about being nice to others, and it is to reveal the height of God's law. And yes, it exposes that we haven't done it. But it also shows us that we are in desperate need for someone to be a good neighbour to us. See, if we're, if we're anyone in this parable, we're, we're certainly not the loving Samaritan. But we're not even the hypocritical priest or Levite. We're, we're lying half dead on the road in desperate need of help. And so I just want to go back through the four points that I went. You know, we went through the four points of the ways in which this parable shows us to love our neighbour. But if we go through them again, we'll realise that actually Jesus is the one who has fulfilled them in every single way. See, love doesn't turn away. It doesn't look away. Even when we look away from injustice, when we look, at the, look away from those who are in desperate need and hurting, Jesus doesn't look away. In His perfect love and perfect obedience, He came to rescue us. He could have looked away, right? He could have crossed the road and ignored us. Jesus has no obligation to save any of us. He could have left us in the mess that we are in because we put ourselves in that mess. In His holiness, He could cast us away to spend all eternity separated from Him in hell. But He loves us and then He puts His love into action by stepping into this broken world to save us. Right? He, he's a God who puts His love into action. He lived a perfect life on our behalf and then He died for you. Right, he was punished for the sins that you have committed to rescue you. E even the ways in which you failed to keep this command to love your neighbour, Jesus came to die for those sins, to rescue you from coming judgement. 
So that, that's putting love into action. Right? And then He rose again to rescue us. To rescue us from death and then to give us eternal life. And we saw that, the, that love has a cost, but, but this, is, this is such a great cost that we see in the Gospel. This, this wasn't just time and money and effort. Jesus gave up everything, right? He, he set aside His throne in heaven for all eternity, seated with the Father, and yet He steps down into a broken, sinful world to experience pain and sorrow and hunger. And it cost Him His life to save us. Right? And, and he was willing to pay that price. Jesus was willing to endure the punishment for our sins that, that he didn't even commit, that we've committed just so that we could be saved. And then fourthly, Jesus' love does not discriminate. Right? Jesus doesn't love a specific people group. You know, if you're not from the right family or the right ethnic background or the right social class or whether you feel religious or not, whether you come from a good family or a broken family, it, it doesn't really matter. If you're living and breathing, then Jesus' love is for you. Right? I mean, we, we saw that during the, the, the kids' talk, you know, Acts 1.8, that the gospel is to go out from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Right? It, this is for everyone. We don't love like this. We, we tend to, to love people who love us, right? It's so easy to love people who already love us. But, but Jesus loved us even when we were enemies, right? Even, even when we were far away from God, when we were sinning against Him, Jesus still loved us because His love for us is not dependent upon what we do. If it was, we would all be lost. Uh, but Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Uh, and then, then 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or, or atoning sacrifice for our sins. I think I quoted both of those verses last time I preached, but I don't care. They're such good verses, so I'm going to have to use them again. So Jesus perfectly fulfilled this law to love God and to love our neighbour. He fulfilled this law in a way that we never could. And He loves us in a way that we haven't shown to others. But He can save you. He can rescue you from anything. You may feel completely helpless that, that you're, you've been battered about by life and your own sins, weighed down by the weight of the world, lying half dead on the road, thinking nothing can fix me, nothing can save me, nothing can, no one can patch me up. But Jesus can save you. He can rescue you. He can save you. From your sins. He can save you from judgment. He can save you from the power of sin in your life and transform your life. There is no sin that He cannot save you from. So yes, we should get out there and love others. We, we should try and be like the Good Samaritan, but, but first we need to look to Jesus. We need to be rescued by Him. We need to be transformed by Him, be led by Him, and then we can love others and then we can give Jesus all the glory for rescuing us and being our example. So let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have been a good neighbour to us. When we were broken and in desperate need of salvation, you came as our saviour. When we were dead in our sins, you came to be a life giver. When we were sick with sin, you came to be our healer. Lord, we thank you that you've rescued us. We thank you that you have fulfilled the law perfectly in walking in obedience out of love for God. Thank you that you have loved your neighbour, Lord. Thank you that you have loved us even when we were enemies. Thank you that you have brought us near to yourself. Amen.